Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. The doctor said I wouldn't have so many nosebleeds if I kept my finger out of there. Sci-Fi Malady, Symptom 252, X-Files, The Pilot, It Begins. Welcome back, Stickies, to a new month and a new month of sci-fi and with Truth is Out There August. And for those of you who are saying that's not really alliteration, Rage Master, well, first of all, yes, it is. But second of all, we have a few where we don't do it. But getting back to the point, out and awe are crappy slant alliterations but they'll do for the purpose we're having so rather than beat that horse to death let's just get into the fact that can you guys believe it's taken us this long to do the x-files i don't know i see the horse is still moving i think i can beat it a little bit i can't believe it's taken us this long to do x-files it it's it's funny because um the you know scott and i had to admit that we had never really watched this show back on when it was on air back in the 90s which uh, totally shocked me yeah and you know what as i watch it i think the same thing like man why didn't i watch this show everyone talked about it what was my thing i know why i didn't you want why? the sad answer it's the answer to everything yeah. what's our track i was too busy spending all of my time watching episodes of star trek i've already seen watching star trek voyager watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine, reading Star Trek books, or attempting to write my own terrible Star Trek script where Captain Picard joins the poker game and wins with a royal flush on his first hand. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, but the episode shouldn't have gotten in the way because the X-Files aired at a different time. It aired on Sunday nights. No, no, beyond that, I was just too obsessed with then, uh, you know, 14-year-old Scott imagining how someday, somehow, he would end up on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, even though it didn't exist. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's sad. But anyway, <laughs> you said it. You said it. Nonetheless, here we are. Finally reviewing a classic. Finally reviewing it. Well, we've reviewed a lot of classics. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is a big classic, just not one you guys cared about. Um, but this is a classic show that, quite honestly, we have never dipped our toe into, and I think it's, I think, I think the devil and David Duchovny are due. So, we're going to start it off with the pilot, because even though we're going to be covering some of the most notable episodes of the, ser of the series, you kind of have to start where the pilot is, just to get your footing. And the basics of the show is that you have um, Scully, what's her name? What's Scully's first name in this? I know I Dana. Um, Dana. Dana Scully, who is a graduated with a medical degree and a physics degree, and instead of going into the medical profession, decided to join the FBI. And she's given the job of working with um, Mulder. Uh, Mulder. I was trying to think of his first. Name. Scully certainly didn't have to pay back any student loans by making that choice. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but she's working with Mold, Agent Mulder, who is famous for being a behavioral analyst and cracking some serial killer codes, but then also getting really heavily involved in the, the X-Files, which looks into 
all sorts of stuff, paranormal activity, UFOs, the like. Not really, shown this happened after he shared a few uh, few beers with Mike Barra. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Barra might not have been doing his thing at the time. But um, I want to make note here that The X-Files is not entirely the most original idea. Um, there were some pretty good antecedents. One of the biggest ones, I would say, was an old show in the 70s called uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker, starring Darren McGavin. And if you don't know who Darren McGavin is, he was Ralphie's father from A Christmas Story and Billy Madison's father from Billy Madison. <laughs> um, but that show was about a journalist in Chicago who was doing pretty much the same thing. But the show only went for one season because at the time, a lot of them were night shots. It was expensive. See, whereas, and, and it wasn't a clear copy, but it, everybody points out it, it was a clear um, inspiration. Maybe I've never watch watched Kojak the Night Stalker, but I've heard about it. But in my head, I always envisioned a cross between Kojak, the detective movie, and the <laughs> Night Stalker serial killer in California. I see why you would think that, but um, one day we'll have to do that show. I, I own the series, and it's really quite good. But I've heard Kolchak, nothing but good things about it. We're not here to talk about Kolchak. We're here to talk about X-Files. So, uh, basically... When do we ever stay on topic? I try. <laughs> I never do. succeed, but he tries. I try. So Dana Scully is sent in basically to work with Mulder, but also report back in a way to de discredit and debunk him. That's never ex on him. It's, it's never explicitly said, but she knows. And one of the features of especially season one is that every time some supernatural or paranormal or alien activity occurs, she just happens to never be around for it or happens to be looking the other way. But there's, you might say, circumstantial evidence to back it up. So her reports kind of defend what happened, but she admittedly says, well, they're subjective and I didn't see the whole thing. So it doesn't flat out deny something happened, but it doesn't defend it either. So, and it creates this really neat balance where, um, this is where I will say the mystery box works because you don't entirely get what was going on. And Scully never can prove or deny, disprove or deny, but there's enough there to give the audience member the knowledge that, well, that's why they keep going on with this because they're looking for a debunk moment, an aha moment, and it never comes. It's just beyond reach. I feel like Scully is loosely based on J. Allen Hynek, who was brought on to be the debunker for Project Blue Book, but then wouldn't be the debunker. And actually went be. on and said, they're lying. There's these things that are unexplained that we should have been looking at more. Well, I don't know who that is. Phyllis Sickie's in real quick on that, and myself. J. Allen Hynek, during the 1950s, when Project Blue Book was really taking off and the CIA was... Well, back it up. What's Project Blue Book? Go back to the beginning. Let's just assume somebody doesn't know anything about it. Project Blue Book was the official CIA and Air Force investigation. I think it was Air Force. It was the official Air Force investigation Air Force. 
into UFO activity in the United States. The thing is, with Project Blue Book, its its purpose was to explain these things away as natural phenomena. Um, J. Allen Hynek was brought in as a as a respected scientist whose job was to put some legitimacy behind the debunking. And, you know, Hynek came out later and wrote a book called Project Blue Book where he said that the main objective that was given to him by the Air Force was, it can't be so it isn't. Tell me why these things are weather balloons. Tell me why these things are experimental aircraft. Tell me why these things are swamp gas um, refracting off the light of Venus. And he did it for a while because he wanted to be involved and he wanted to figure out, he said, where to take a stand on a really good one that he could come out and say, this is a UFO. And he thought he needed to be there. Um, ultimately, that, that clear thing never really happened for him. And he ended up breaking ranks later and, and just going through and saying, look, out of the cases that we reviewed, 97% of them are explainable. But there's 3% of them that might have been legitimate UFO thing, uh, sightings that we should have looked further into. And instead, the Air Force told us to just say that it is, um, you know, swamp gas or a weather balloon or an experimental aircraft, you know. Um, so I feel like Scully, Scully, whether intentionally or unintentionally, mirrors J. Allen Hynek. She's the respectable, respectable scientist brought in to rein in crazy old Fox Mulder and, mm-hmm. and put down his crazy UFO theories. Um, so that it would have the weight of official science behind it. And she didn't do it, just like J. Allen Hynek didn't do it. She walked that line enough to not get fired, but not to, you know, cut Mulder's legs out from under him. Yeah. Okay. You also have to... There's a very iconic character that's also introduced in this episode, other than just Scully and Mulder. Who's that? The Smoking Man. He was in... Was he in this episode? I thought that was... uh... Yes. He walked by... Oh! In the hallway. He was in the interview, and he collected the evidence at the very end. Yeah, and he put it in the locker at the end. Yeah. Yes. I just hear Al Yankovic in my head going, I hope the Smoking Man's in this one. (laughs) (laughs) You You know, it's funny about that. At the end, when he's in the evidence locker room, I get the vibe from Indiana Jones, where at the end they box up the Ark and put it in that. Yeah, except that's uh, in Area 51. This is in the Pentagon. Well, that wasn't established as Area 51 at the time, because, you know. But the point is, the idea of the government having this huge group, this huge amount of crazy objects that they just box up label top secret and shove into a pile somewhere and forget that it's there and this one um, it's in the pentagon but it's hidden in plain sight in the pentagon behind a room that basically says fire evacuation protocols yeah yeah but if you've well, got the key card there's no more security past that door but I'm just saying, in fact, X-Files has a few tropes like that or the fact that David Duchovny's in a basement but um, they're not bad. I mean, they don't distract from the show. They're not. No, like, but you know, they don't I mean, take. They don't make it bad at all. No, but I have to say, like your mysterious man in black smoking ma- is played wonderfully by this character actor, and it doesn't feel like it is a trope. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't feel like a trope. 
Yeah, and, and even if you notice it, you kind of just dismiss it and go, well, it works, so I'm not going to knock it. You know? It's not overdone. It's not hammed up. It fits the story well, so why get in the way? Yeah. I quibble. Um, but, you know, that that kind of tropishness brings us into some of the fun facts about this episode in particular. And one is that... Um, David Duchovny's office is uh, is kind of, you know, he was a behavioral analyst, part of the behavioral analysis unit. Why don't you just was, say MOLA? Because it's, every time you say David Duchovny, it just throws me for a second. I'm sorry, Mulder, excuse me. Mulder, <laughs> um, he's an ex-member of this unit, and they, that unit, behavioral analysis, actually was famously stuck in the basement of the FBI Academy at Quantico, Virginia. So it's kind of like, you know, a nod to that direction that he would be there because that's what he did. Um, and allegedly in Mulder's wall, office wall displays the infamous homecoming photo of Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. which a series in which David Duchovny had a prominent supporting role. Well, it also has the poster, which is pretty much the most famous one. What's that? Fill me in. The truth is out there. Ah, yes, it does have that in there, doesn't it? Doesn't That's it, true. Hasn't that poster been debunked as someone who threw a pie plate yes. upside down? Yep, it's been debunked, but the, the quote the has quote become, sticks around. Yes, the truth is out there is... I mean, you still hear it to this day. Yeah. Stated. So it, it's fallen into common use. Yeah, p- common parlance. Now, I would say that it looks really great with the theme, but this was the only episode in all of X-Files that didn't use the theme song. Yeah, it I noticed that. with the title card. That's it. Um, yes. So Sarah and I were trying to whistle the theme song because we had it in our heads and we, we would know it if we heard it. <laughs> but here's the thing. Yep. Yeah. But yep. but Sarah kept kind of whistling the Jeopardy theme and I'm like that's the <laughs> Jeopardy theme and she's like but it starts that way and then it would turn into the Jeopardy theme and I couldn't even get close to it. I was like no, it's a whistle and um but I, I'm like where's the theme? Where's the theme? I had to look it up on my phone cuz we were driving ourselves crazy. Uh, yeah, it, it's a very uh, iconic theme. Yes. Oh, to this day. To this day. Um it's up there with the Star Wars theme, um, Halo, for those that yeah. know what that is. But it's up there. Well, I mean, if something mysterious happens, you can just kind of start whistling that. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you hear that, everyone knows where you're going with it. You call yeah. someone a conspiracy nut immediately. Yeah. Um, the... In fact, look for Dana Scully was inspired very much by Clarice Starling of Silence of the Lambs. That's what they were going for. That's what, well, I'm sorry, that's what Chris Carter was going for. Um, but network, exec, network executives wanted a taller, leggier, blonder, and breastier actress for the role. However, when Gillian Anderson auditioned for the role, Chris Carter liked her so much he coached her on how to get the job. It should be noted, ironically, 
that in 1996, Jillian Anderson was voted FHM Magazine's Sexiest Woman in the World with Pamela Anderson ranking behind her. So, interesting little table turn there. Um, very good actress, too. Very good. Uh, Chris Carter, the creator of this, finished putting the pilot together at 5 a.m., three hours before it was to be aired for the Fox News executives, who wound up giving it a standing ovation. Um, that, that, that's cutting it close. Ouch. I know, but there it is. Um, let's see any other little ones. Um, fun little fact. Uh, Mulder eats sunflower seeds a lot. David Duchovny hates them. <laughs> um, let's sure, that see. was not an enjoyable part of playing that character. That's probably why he just like nibbles and spits it out right away, I guess. Um, let's see. That would so, be like if I was an actor that the role called for me to have a cat in every scene. <laughs> yeah. Why is his eyes always puffing it up and he's taking all these drugs all, all the time for antihistamine? Because of cats! <laughs> it was his greatest so- role ever, but his liver failed shortly after from excessive <laughs> ingestion of Benadryl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think sunflower seeds are a little less dangerous. Yeah, than- I was going to say, David Duchovny's was just, I don't like them, not, they're going to kill me. <laughs> Um, the last one I'll give is that um, in the show, when Mulder and Scully arrive in Oregon, the date is given as March 7th, 1992, but the episode was first aired in 93, so they tried to just say, oh, this has happened in the past, which they do say at the beginning, this is based on historical, this, or, um, you know, the usual. But uh, to that end, I guess we could just quickly mention the episode. Um, the plot is that a young girl is running through the forest. She winds up meeting a glowing individual who the whole area lights up. She disappears, but then they find her. Some guys find her dead body with these two little burn nubs on them. On her. And Mulder and Scully is then assigned to Mulder, who is looking into this case. They fly to Oregon, where it is. And they come to find out who they were going to exhume the body and do an autopsy, but the body was in a high state of decay. And there is not a human. How about that? Not human on top of it. And there is a metal implant up the nose. And Scully takes it out and carries it around. Uh, she also does some notes, and they come to find out that there was a number of kids from the class of 89 who had spent time out in the forest and, and essentially an alien ship took them away and replaced uh, 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 them. what's that okay fix me supposedly an alien ship okay supposedly an alien ship but and left some kind of double and we see that with uh billy who is the quote-unquote murderer because when he's not out murdering he's in a comatose state and the other girl who was in a wheelchair at an insane asylum now no well, i think they were no i think it was like a stand-in no like a or something remember he's t- speaking about being told to do things 
Yeah, I don't think it's a double Whoa. or a stand-in. It's I a think double. it's the, okay. the alien control over their body allows oh, her to run that. or allows him to be take the actions that he takes and okay. then later he doesn't remember them. I don't think there's a double or a stand-in. This is actually oh, Okay, that. okay. Yeah. Then I misread that. But yeah, that's what we find out too, that these kids are getting picked up and observed and researched. Well, and probably through the use of you know time dilation or time travel we don't know they get dropped off dropped back off at earth well you you just hit on one of the big things about x-files right now there's so much unknown even when they finish an episode yeah oh absolutely we just know aliens were involved kids were being kidnapped some of them well, died. We're dropping off one at a time, and the parents were trying to cover it up. Do you even know aliens were involved? They leave it out there for you to... That's true. It could be someone else. Do you want to believe Scully, or do you want to believe Mulder? But the parents don't know who it is, either. They're just trying to cover it up. Because Scully don't even, at the end, the only person who might know is Billy. The man in black. Or Billy, the kid. Well, no, Billy Billy thinks he knows. He thinks he knows. He's under hypnosis. Yeah, so... They leave you enough of it... They leave you enough of it to believe that it could just have been Billy having waking psychosis moments killing these girls. But the really... The the rub of this situation is, though, now all the notes and photographic evidence from the autopsy and everything they had was destroyed in a hotel fire. Because the parents burnt the motel down with all their stuff in it. But Scully kept the nose implant in her pocket. And so... Just enough to tell you Mulder's... So that if you're watching, and you're supposed to be rooting for Mulder, that Mulder's right. There's just enough evidence that Mulder can't prove it, but just enough to let you know, hey, Mulder's on to something, and one day he's going to be able to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we learn that Mulder has a very personal interest in this because his sister was abducted by aliens. He heard it, but there, he was somehow stopped by the aliens from interfering. And okay. we buried that, but then they, through hypnosis, pulled it out. Now the question is, with hypnosis, is it a real memory or implanted memory? Now, me knowing more into this show... Right, you would know I can, I can answer that, but if I'm just going off this first episode, you don't know if that's actually what happened. That's true, because we do know, too, that was this, this show came also out of the sat- just at the tail end of the Satanic Panic. And during the Satanic Panic, there was a very popular book called Michelle Speaks, where through hypnosis, kids were dredging out memories of being part of it uh sexually abused in a satanic cult now of course it turned out that that hadn't happened that it was an implanted memory by someone on a witch hunt and one of the things that really came out about this was in the early 90s by the way a local a sheriff of a small town sent his daughters to a camp and some charlatan prophetess convinced these girls that their father had been running a pedophile satanic cult and that he had abused his daughters and these daughters came home accused their father and somehow he went along with it and said yeah i did it despite the fact subsequent investigators and detectives went to him 
accused him of crimes. And when he confessed to them, they said, that's impossible. I just made that up. And the guy wound up in jail. And only after he wound up in jail did he realize, oh, my God, I didn't do it. Then the reality set in. So it was way more the power of persuasion. The point I'm getting at is this hypnosis thing, the power of it, and implanted memories for control. This was a thing that was going on that I'm sure Chris Carter was aware of. My belief in in hypnosis and regression theory hypnosis is that, I mean, this is my uneducated belief, you know, my unprofessional belief, but I believe it's a crock of BS. You go into hypnosis wanting to uncover something. You go into hypnosis with a subconscious idea of what you want to remember and what you think is buried. So it doesn't surprise me that with someone leading you into this and leading you with questions to an event where you basically have shut off your conscious mind enough to let your subconscious mind start speaking, that you're going to remember or tell the story that you consciously wanted to tell before you went into hypnosis. It gives you you the ability to say it. There's a reason that it's not admissible in court as testimony. Someone's leading you to it. You wanted to get to this. The human brain has a fantastic way of making what it wants to be real appear real to itself. Oh, absolutely. I once saw a hypnotism show, and the first thing the hypnotist said is after he asked for volunteers was, if you don't want to get hypnotized, you won't. And for those that were willing to do it, they convinced themselves, you know, one woman convinced herself that someone had stolen her belly button. Well, it, it, so it, it was very much they convinced themselves. Well, it's as soon as you want to get hypnotized, as soon as you allow yourself, you want to be part of it. You want this. So you allow it. Exactly. And, and yes, it's been proven many times that mind has a lot more control over the body than we sometimes want to think. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There was one where, the same show, the guy, uh, he told someone, okay, when you hear people laughing, you have to stand up and shout, I am the man. And when you hear it, you're supposed to shut up and scream, no, you're not. And sure enough, every time, they would get up almost involuntarily, just because they were hypnotized to do this and you know there were those that went up on stage and didn't really allow themselves to get hypnotized and he just told them to get off the stage he's like you're done now because that's gonna ruin the show but but anyway so knowing this it leads that the viewer into kind of a well we definitely know that Mulder definitely believes he saw this and this is the case but is it true? Well, that's the entire premise of the show. Right. Is constantly and asking, is this true? Did this actually happen? Right. And I think, you know, I, I'm going to harp on this for the umpteenth time that this is a mystery box done right because it comes down to you don't need to know how the particular event be it supernatural alien or what have you works for the story of the episode to finish successfully because if you did know everything right you need that yeah you not only do you need that kind of level of mystery for the rest of the show to progress but for the individual episode you don't need to know 
what the heck happened to Billy? Was that an alien? You don't need to know it for the story to reach its closure. And this is this show is masterfully done. It's just not a series of coincidences and wait, what the heck? Why is that happening? This doesn't make sense. You know, it's a very well, clear it also has to, these hints. It also has to go into the entire show is that way. It right. the entire show every episode leaves you questioning and every season leaves you questioning. Yes. So you sit there pretty much the entire time not knowing. It wouldn't even when, even when you think you know, you don't. There's some part of you that's like, it might not. This is a show that has to be a mystery box. It doesn't work in any other format but a mystery box. Everything has right. to be a mystery box. If you ever answer it, the show doesn't work. If you answer a mystery box, then you have to... If you open up a mystery box and let someone see what's inside, then in this type of show, it better lead to a bigger mystery box. Um, it would not surprise me if J.J. Abrams, even if he hasn't said it in an interview, was very much influenced by the X-Files, even subconsciously, in his direction yeah. and writing style. The X-Files is an example, not only of a mystery box done well, it might be the penultimate mystery box series. And it also, um, it's an example of a series that can only be a mystery box. Right. And I would say to that effect as well, in the movie, there is an X-Files movie where they show a lot. And, you know, Thomas is right. They, and when you see it, it's very unfulfilling. At least it was for me. Because it's like, oh, now the cat's out of the bag. Some things should never be answered. Some things are better on TV, not answered and left in the mind of the viewer or in a book yep. in the reader to determine Absolutely. what happened. Because Absolutely. Yeah, you can be you could be Mulder or you could be Scully. Cuz Scully is the person that clearly starts to like Mulder and wants to believe, but uh, she's just not there for the silver bullet moment she wants. So yeah, and um, I mean, the other thing being, we only saw episode one here. That's true. So this, this is the beginning of a working relationship between two characters who pretty much go into a will-they-won't-they they scenario. And then also goes into the entire dynamic between the two, because you do have the scientist looking for hard facts, and then you have Molder who just believes. I mean, he will run with sometimes Whatever. things some things that are proven to be completely wrong in other episodes, but he runs with it and goes all the way down the rabbit hole. Which also adds that vulnerability to him that you as the viewer, it's like, gosh, Mulder, I want to believe you, but these two leads you just took ridiculous lunacy and they didn't pan out at all. How why would you think that? All right. So it also adds to why the FBI isn't always on his side, because you've been wrong before, Mulder. I'm going to derail us here, and this is uh, it's what I do, but it's, it's off the script. How much of today's conspiracy culture do you think subconsciously goes back to the impact of the X-Files on society in the uh, 90s? That's, that's not too much of a derail, actually. I would say, because... 
in hindsight, you kind of have to look at it. Um, oh gosh, I I want to say it's 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 an influence. That's for sure. That a bunch of people think they're a molder now. It's the difference is now you have people who can Google and find a lot of uh, we'll say quote unquote documents. You know whether they're legit or not is another matter. But you have a lot of people that can do their research, as they say. Whereas before, if you wanted UFO books, you were stuck with what the local library gave you. And that may not be much. Right. And that's the well, other problem is people think research means um, reading, you know, secondhand accounts and, and reading someone else's research. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is where you get the idea implanted into society of the of the anti-establishment scientist being right and the establishment being wrong and here's Mulder with his crazy theories and even though you've proved him wrong at times science you won't prove him wrong in the end and he's got a hundred different theories you may prove 97 of them wrong but if you can't prove three of them wrong Mulder's right and and today in our society this is a problem and I would say Chris Carter never meant for this to be the case but we have no. reached a point where we don't trust science. We don't believe in science as a society. And we trust that we are smart enough. This is my, one of my soapboxes. But we trust that we are smart enough to do a little bit of research on Google. And that means that we have an opinion that is as valid as someone who spent their entire life um, trained scientifically to well, research the phenomenon. Well, and I'm I think to- this... This put that kernel even subconsciously in the brains of a lot of kids who are between 10 and 25 in the 90s who are in controlling positions of society today. Well, I'm, going, I'm, even I'm going to agree with you, Scott, because this came out before ancient aliens and before all this, before the boom of other stuff. I mean, right. Yes, Mark, you. There was stuff ahead of it that we could sure ancient Daniken Van Daniken was there, but he was a screw loose wingnut on the fringe, right? Um, and I'm saying X Files was a big show that became very popular that pulled people in, and this was a precursor to a lot of other shows and stuff with it. X Files might have made Van Daniken other than rather than the other way around. Yeah. Now I yeah. might disagree with you, Scott, on what's causing the lack of agreement with science, but. That's a different soapbox. It has to do with rationalism. Yeah. And we can argue about psychology and sociology and for hours. And this is not the tis, podcast. Yeah, one. that is another time. But and I'm not saying. I'm not. I just want to clarify this. For someone says, are you saying that all of the modern conspiracy movement and distrust of science is related to X Files? No, but no. I am saying that subconsciously, it's part of whatever the recipe was that took us from the 1960s, placing our faith as a nation in science to the 2020s where we basically say that scientists are quacks and their opinion is not to be valued because personally i think that as a nation we believe that you know um a a large percentage of this country believes that scientist equals quack who is just lying through their teeth to advance political agenda well scott you're not 100 percent wrong except then you also have to remember that some of those scientists are bought and paid by for by corporations. So 
Yes, there's, some, there's right. a different type of science. It's not always government. Yeah, funded. I get it. But how many millionaire scientists are there? Exactly. How, how bought of, are they being? Si- they're usually not yeah. very well. I mean, they're yeah. better off than most. Of, they're upper middle class. But how many? Well, you know, how many the, Neil deGrasse Tyson's are there? Are paid for. If you're if you're doing what you want to do and your projects are paid for, that's the. But again, again, we're going down a rabbit hole here. Yeah, I mean, there should be a differentiation between university scientists who aren't probably bought by corporations and, you know, scientists who are paid by the by the sugar council to come up with studies that say drinking a Mountain Dew with 78 grams of sugar in it is healthier for you than drinking a zero sugar Mountain Dew because the aspartame is artificial. There's probably well, something to be said about I differentiating mean, between that, that, but... but, but, but you I, also yeah, I would say... No. I, I was just going to say, I, you can't immediately just say say everything's one way or the other. It, it's not black and white. It's gray, which... I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm skeptical of a scientist employed by the National Cattle Ranchers Association that says red meat doesn't cause higher levels of heart disease. You know, I'm skeptical of that. But <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're skeptical but of for, that. But for a university or a nonprofit or something, they're not getting loaded off. And a lot of times, too, what scientists wind up doing is just researching to collaborate other research. Remember, they're not getting they're not getting loaded off this. Actually, they're not getting anything off of it. Um, it's, it's not the 1940s yeah, I, where you could have actual too. doctors getting getting yes big no, paydays a, from Lucky Strike to say time out, time out, stop right. <laughs> yes and no, because right now there's a huge scandal going on with Alzheimer's because you had a scientist publish a paper. On Alzheimer's, saying it was waxy material in the brain, and it has sent everyone off on the wrong direction for years now, researching something that has now been proven 100%. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's that's years now. I I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. The FDA approved it despite overwhelming evidence that that it actually is a cause, but they approved it because it can't hurt. And there might be a possibility that it helps. The treatment they're going to give these people with Alzheimer's cannot hurt them. There's no concrete scientific evidence that meets all the standards that it does help. But since it can't hurt, the FDA is saying, you might as well try it. Let's let people who want to pay for it pay for it and see if it will help them. Because it can't hurt them. You'd think it might not hurt them. And the other thing being, the the bigger thing is the scientists put that paper out stating this was what was causing it. That caused all your research funding to go into that area. So instead of... I'm not sure what articles you've read on that. I've read different articles on it that pretty much say what I just said. We don't know for sure that it helps, but it seems that there's a possibility that it does. And by making this treatment available... You know, I mean, it's Alzheimer's. It's one of the most cruel diseases imaginable. It steals your life from you. It steals your memories. It steals your relationships. If I had Alzheimer's or someone that I love has Alzheimer's had it, I would, I would be, I would say, if this can't hurt them, what's the harm in letting them try it to well, see my, if it can, if I, it can prevent? I get, I get what you're saying, but my problem is someone lied and faked results and manipulated research to state what they wanted to be true published it which caused research dollars to go into something instead of a field that might cure it 
went into something that was faked and falsified. All right, this is a flip, because usually this is the point of the show where I'm arguing with Rage Master about something, but that's okay. Um, I'm going <laughs> to say that, Thomas, I've read different articles of this, and I don't agree with your interpretation of what you're saying this article was. Um, the the okay. research and the publication from what I have read on it is that is that they have admitted that they're not certain that it meets the standards and that this should have been authorized, but that but that it won't hurt to try it. Now, should they be charging $55,000 annually for the treatment when they don't know it will work? Well, there's a discussion I'll have with you. Yeah. And I've read different articles. So, again, we've, we've seen different things. But, again, we're, we're both agreeing that science, you can be skeptical of it, and that this show no. might have subconsciously exaggerated some of what's already there. That's a good yeah. consensus middle ground meet between the two of us where we do not agree here. Thomas, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I was just going to point out three things. One, one I learned from an archaeologist. The supposition that, you know, oh, scientists are doing all this. Um, at least from this position of archaeologists, archaeology and science, you know, how come they're trying to bury this truth? Well, an archaeologist would love to find evidence of aliens using power tools. Do you know why? It would put them on the map. Okay? They would love to find something that shows ancient civilization that had electric batteries. It would put them on the map. They found the batteries. But the problem, yeah, they found the bag, Baghdad battery that can't do dick. Um, but what they, they would love to find these things, but they haven't. They're not going to stake their reputation on a, on a hieroglyphic that one guy says is a light bulb, but everybody else knows, according to ancient Egyptian mythology, is the creation of the world. Yeah. Plus, if that's the light, plus, if that's the light bringer temple, why are they having torchlight everywhere? Why is there soot on the ceiling? But anyway, yeah, um, I, well, no, the human so brain, what? as I said earlier, the human brain has an ability to see what it wants to see. Of course, we're going to see a light bulb. Okay. When in today's society, it looks like a light bulb. Well, yeah. there's also so, the so thing let me that stop, the human stop brain Stop interrupting loves. me when I'm interrupting you. <laughs> well, well, okay. Um, sorry, I just want, I've always wanted to say that line. It's from the movie Dark. Power. Stop interrupting me when um, I'm interrupting <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so I, I was just going to agree is, with you guys and say the brain looks for patterns. Sometimes yeah, they don't want patterns. But it would be in a scientist's best interest if they found these things to be true because it would put them on the map. Um, the other thing, Tom, is you're pointing out that a uh, study, a uh, study, a uh, study. That, that's right. But I think one of the things we forget, and this is true of all the TikTokers that make their little videos and everything else, it's a matter of scale. We can sit there and say, scientist X got it wrong. But who are you? Um, this is like Scott saying, oh, you're going to have to give, give me the name of uh, the coach of Ohio State, Scott. Or not coach, Ryan QB. Right? Is he the QB, I said. Uh, no, no, we'll go with Ryan Day. He's the head coach. Uh, no, I wanted, to, I wanted to be the athlete. I needed to be the athlete right now. Okay. Scott, give me the QB from Ohio State. What's his name? Wait. 
CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud. This is like Scott watching Ohio State. CJ Stroud throws two interceptions. And Scott throws a fit, pitches a fit. He's worthless. He's worthless. I can play better than him. I threw two interceptions in my last flag football game. You've read yeah, my Twitter? Um, <laughs> like I've literally tweeted that. Okay. But here's the problem. Once Scott gets off his high horse and calms down, he realizes um, CJ Stroud is on another level. If he were to be at my flag football game, he would do way better. And if you were to put me in CJ Stroud's position, I would get annihilated. Oh, and then you've seen me delete my tweets. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's a matter of scale. Yes, the scientist or the doctor will make a mistake, but it's not the same as when you make a mistake. Does that mean the stakes are higher for the scientist? Absolutely. But it also still doesn't mean you're better. Excuse me. I stand by my BS theory that I am the Scottish Scott who will live forever and never die, and I am the ultimate true version of myself. That's cute. That is scientifically sound, and I did my research on Google about the wave particle theory of light and the dual slot experiment, and I can't explain either of them, but I did my research, and I will never die. Okay, great. So uh, you'll be at my funeral then. Okay. um, The third one is I really love when I hear someone, science denier, screaming about how the West is better because of the scientific method. And then they trash science. It's like, wait, you know, part of the scientific method is the final step is if your conclusion is wrong, go back to the drawing board, right? No, no, no. It's exercise confirmation bias and seek information that proves that you were right, even if you weren't. All right. Well, whether they do it or not, it's in the scientific method that it's built in that you will get different results or you might be completely wrong. Mark, I am a man who believes on Thursday what I believed on Tuesday and nothing that happened on Wednesday will change that opinion. That's why you're not a scientist, I guess. But anyway, the point is, though, I do happen to agree with you both that um, there are scientists who are unscrupulous and that has helped. But this show has certainly catapulted catapulted that although it, there's so much more than that i mean look at tiktok you get a bunch of dear why God, why, why are you looking at tiktok i'm not it's it's an archaeology professor i watch online that debunks tiktokers but first of all the tiktokers can't be more than 18 and i'm sure their knowledge of history is about as good as my knowledge of astrophysics um dear god what a derail, but dear God. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm going to be honest. I've, I've unplugged from all social media. I, I used to use Twitter a lot, and one of my good friends who was on there goes, I admire your ability to, to put the bird app down. I don't use, you guys notice, I don't do any, any political rants on Facebook anymore. Social media is. Well, and it's, it's one of the reasons. It's the reason the country is so radicalized. Around. It's one of the reasons a lot of this stuff happens because. Um, you can go out and make the most crazy thing for the likes. Yeah. And it's just, but you know, this show going back to the point so we can bring it back around. Is this show an inspiration? Yeah. I mean, it is not that I'm not going to blame it for that because it's a great show. And I agree with you, Scott. I don't think that's what Chris Carter was going for at all. Um, so 
just an unfortunate side effect, I suppose. Okay. But uh, as far as the show goes, let, you know, we got a little bit of a little bit of time. Let's do some rips and picks of the show itself. The, this episode, rather, itself. And I think a good pick is, and this is one that goes for all the shows, the the secretive nature, the almost Lovecraftian nature of here's the threat, but we're not going to fully explain it. We're going to finish the story in a satisfying way, but you're still going to be left going, was that real? Or, as you guys pointed out, was that an alien? Was it really an alien? Or what, what else? What was that? At least in this episode. Less is more. And it's also when you're putting together a pilot and you have budgetary constraints, it's a brilliant thing to do. Yeah. Also, how about the simple fact that the acting in this is fantastic? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, earlier you talked about, you know, they selected these, but these people are playing these characters so well. You can't picture anyone else playing them. No. If you tried to replace David Duchovny and uh, Gillian Anderson, you'd fail. You'd fail. You can't do it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help that they're iconic now, but it's still just looking at this, it's like these Actors and actresses are playing these roles so well. Oh my goodness! There's yes. a lot of um. I'll I'll say a pick is the on-screen chemistry that is evident immediately between um, mm-hmm. Duchovny and Anderson. That does that's not always there, and it's critical and it's important to a TV <clears throat> series to have chemistry between the leads. And if it's not mm-hmm. there, that can kill a series. And they they contrast perfectly, and um, the the on screen the relationship between the actor and the actress that that professional relationship feeding off of each other, working off of each other is um undeniable, and it's present even in a pilot, and often that is not present in a pilot. And yes. they both have yeah. a semi-good grasp. Obviously, the character in the pilot is never the same as the final version of the character. It's sometimes not even the same as the version of the character in episode two. But there is a good, basic, conceptual grasp of who Mulder and Scully are right from the rip in the pilot. Yeah. And, and I mean, over the seasons, they change a little bit, but not much. They pretty closely resemble the ones from the pilot. I do now, have a rip. A- okay. I think oh, good, I forget mine. I think Scully was converted too easily. As the hard scientist, um, she is she is too willing to embrace Mulder's crackpot theories too quickly. I think it should have taken more time for her even to get where she is by the end of episode one. She's on Mulder's side before she meets him. And she's what? already decided before she meets him to be there with an open mind. So I, I kind of wish that she would have had to, that Mulder would have had to work harder to convert her. Okay, but fair point. Is she, is she really that much? Because at the end, when she's de- going through debrief, she's not defending Mulder so much, and she's just saying, I don't have enough data to say no. Yeah, I think it should have taken her a longer time to get to that point. There's no protestation as a as a 
trained professional scientist. There's a very small amount of it at one point, but but that's overcome too quickly. I think any trained. She's not lying when she said she doesn't have the data. She does. She doesn't when she says this is subjective. I don't have any data. She's not lying. This is my personal opinion. I think most professional scientists in that position it would have taken longer to bring them to even the level of being willing to accept it. That Scully is at the end of episode, even by the middle of episode one. That could be, but I would think that a scientist, you know, if they're worth their salt would have to be forefront and say, even if they said, I don't believe it would have to be honest and say, well, if you're looking for evidence, to the contrary, unfortunately I don't have no, 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 that, that I agree with, but I think they'd have been more, she seems more willing to consider the fact that it was aliens or that Mulder is right, where I think that most scientists would have been saying, no, there's an earthly explanation for this that I just don't have the information for, and I've got to look harder to find it. She seems more well, willing to believe it's the supernatural, in mm-hmm. my opinion, and it is only my opinion, okay. Okay. right off the rip, she seems to be more of Mulder's hidden ally where she's made a decision that she, I don't want to say likes the man, but, but she, she respects the person enough to the point that she's going to not cut his legs out from under him. She sees the value in his research, and she sees it by the end of episode one. And I think it would have been more realistic for it to take a few episodes for her to really be on even unofficially lukewarmly Team Mulder. It would have been more fulfilling for them to fight and be adversaries until there was a turning point moment late mid mid to late season one and and that from the viewer's perspective i think would have might have been more fulfilling than just Mulder wins her over because she's overawed by his reputation before they even meet well scott they're following the star trek principle of the crew can't fight okay well i was gonna say though um i was gonna an example i was gonna use that was major kira norris and captain cisco because it is not until some of the way through the season that Norris and Cisco see eye to eye and like each other. There's a fight and a confrontation there. And that's kind of why I was saying that it took him a minute to win her over and that was more realistic. And when he does, it's more fulfilling to me. But I wasn't I was trying not to bring up Star Trek for once. Go figure. Well well, I wanted to ask Thomas then, since you've seen more, um does Scully come off that way where she's buying into it or is she just kind of curiously humoring him? What do you think? You've seen more of this. There are some episodes where she is very advantageous to him. There are times where she's 100% against where he's going. So I get totally get what Sky is saying that she does come around overdue accepting the possibility very quickly, let's say. But there are episodes later on where she does not follow where he's leading. Okay. So it might have just been this thing where they had to work out that kink from the pilot. And that might change this rip to a pick later on in the month where I say, good, you recognize that in the pilot she came around a little too early and you had to fix that because... I'm honestly of the opinion that a pilot should never be aired. A pilot should be something that is unaired and maybe shows up in a DVD box when the series is over to say, this is the episode you didn't see. Because I've almost never seen a pilot where the characters behave the same way in the pilot that they do even in episode two. 
or three. To me, a pilot, you're better off not having seen the pilot. Yeah, and sometimes pilots also have that drawing thing that they uh, change actors or actresses yeah. in episode two, which is always a, huh? A pilot, a pilot gets it greenlit. Like, if you go back and look at the first episode of Sci-Fi Malady that's lost, where I break a chair because I was so fat, I sat in the chair and the leg broke. Uh, you got rid of that? Too bad. It is not that there. Was, the, um, was that the DLC one? Yes. And if you go back yeah. to that, only Mark and I are on the show. There's two people that most of you have probably never heard. And we're not reviewing God, a freak. film. We're talking about DLC and video games. It's nothing it's remotely. Yeah. I mean, it was funny. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but it's, it, it was part of our intro for a while that I did, which is something many yeah, of you have probably never even heard. And, and that what the I'm saying is, is that I'm of the opinion that a pilot should never air because what you get in a pilot is often nothing like what you get in the actual show. Or it's so different that um, you're, you're just better off not seeing it. Not seeing it and having your... I mean, test my theory. Go back and watch any show that you like and go watch the pilot and then see if you recognize those characters. Yeah. No, and I get what you're saying. Now, I, I will... I do have a pick here. Mm-hmm. And this... Starts in the pilot, but it continues through the entire, pretty much the entire series. How it's shot. Mm. It's shot in such a way that both brings you into the characters, but also puts you far enough back that you don't see things. You see some things that the characters don't see, and then you see things that you don't see things that the characters see. Mm-hmm. So it's also a very, I guess, 90s way of shooting also. Uh, yeah, sure, of course. So it, it, this, the way of shooting is very interesting and very much part of what the X-Files was. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even have the theme song yet. Which, of course, will be a pick next week. Yes. For a pick, I have to give the overall... um, You know, I just said it's a pilot, and I've never... I would say you should never see a pilot. But for a pilot, um, this is well done. And it's... It doesn't seem... Even though it was rushed, it doesn't seem rushed. The actors and the actresses seem to have a good handle on who the characters are supposed to be. The show seems to know what it wants to be. And for a pilot, um, that is phenomenal. And I think that needs to be credited to them um, how good of a pilot this was. Uh, Network execs are probably seeing a pilot and giving them a list of things that they need to change. And I'm sure that they did because they're network execs and they can't justify their paycheck if they don't do that. But um, I think it needs to, you need to give this a pick for how solid the script was, how solid the acting was, and how in place the basic core tenets of who these characters were for this being a pilot. Well, Mark did say it got a standing ovation, so... It did, yeah. From the executives, so... 
Although I wouldn't say it was so much rushed, unless I don't under unless I don't know how shows are made. It was filmed over fourteen days. No, so, the fact that it was completed three hours before it was due to the network execs tells uh, me that things were been. being rushed at the end. Yeah, it might have been, or it could have been Chris Carter being picky. I don't know. But. Either way, you're you're not exactly feeling good about your final product if you're still fixing it three hours before you're due to present. Sure. Sure, sure. I've written college papers like that. I'm not happy with it when that's the college paper <laughs> I wrote, let alone a pilot for a, for Fox. <laughs> mm. Well, I think that puts us at a nice point of for rating this episode. Uh, how many nasal implants do we want to give it? Ow. Well, that's what they had. Um, I'll go first. Go for it. Being that I have pretty much watched every single X-Files episode. Mm-hmm. And I love the X-Files. The pilot is... I mean, it's a good place for us to start. It's not a bad episode. It's not one of the best episodes either. I... Out of all the x-files episodes it's going to be like a three or four but but being that's if i'm comparing it x-files to x-files though okay okay if i'm comparing it though just to everything else out there tv wise and show i mean there's a lot of crud out there and i can't say that this is bad or even subpar it's a good introduction, good start, characters established, it's enjoyable, and it gets you to that point of wondering, and it has that suspense throughout. The entire episode is suspenseful. What's going on? What's happening? What's what, 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 what? Mm-hmm. And, and who? I, I, I want to give it a seven. I think okay. it's a seven. I'm going to rate it as a pilot, and I'm going to, I try to rate things for what they're supposed to be and compare it to other things that are similar. For a pilot, I give this an 8 out of 10, and for me, that's high above average because the Scott scale sets 5 as average. I think there's things that are wrong. I think, um, I think that as in all pilots, the characters will evolve, um, I don't like, there's points lost for how quickly Scully is being shown as being Mulder's unofficial ally for me. Uh, That's why I take this down to an 8. But I rate it very high for a pilot. Many pilot episodes of any series that you see are not going to be as good as this. Um, If I rated it, you know, at the end of the month, I'm probably going to feel that this is my least favorite episode of The X-Files. And I haven't seen the other, I don't know what the other three episodes are yet. Usually, a pilot is not well-liked compared to other episodes because the actors and the actresses find the characters later, they find their voices later, the writers find the voice of the characters later, and their idiosyncrasies. They figure out what the show is supposed to be. They realize which parts of that character's uh, overall arc is incorrect and needs to be eliminated that didn't score well with the audience, and they do that. They find which characters that they think are going to be breakout characters aren't, which characters that they didn't expect to be a great character are the breakout character. But for a pilot, uh, this doesn't feel like a pilot. It feels polished. 
It feels like something that knows what it wants to be and where it wants to go. And most pilots don't have that. So I will say that this is um, high above average for a pilot episode for a TV series. Okay. Okay, well. Yeah, I'll give this about a 7.5 or an 8. Um, that It was a little higher, but Scott's concern about Scully was uh, took it down a point. Um, it is an interesting point that she backtracks or, or that she kind of folds a little bit quickly. Um, there's also just the fact that it is a pilot and they're still catching their, their footing. But as Scott pointed out, this is a really great pilot and it hooks you right away and it provides you everything you need to want to keep watching. So therefore it puts it at a good 7.5 or 8. This is probably Um, something that in a film school class, like an advanced film school class and like going for a master's, this should be something that you're watching to see an example. In my opinion, my uneducated, unprofessional opinion, if you're a filmmaker, well, not a filmmaker, if you're a TV series maker and a producer, you want to be studying the X-Files pilot for what has been done right to get your show greenlit by a studio. Well, what's interesting is, Scott, you said you wrote a message after watching this saying, wow, how come I haven't watched this before? So that was a pretty good compliment for this show. Um, So I'm definitely looking forward to the next episodes we do. Sickies, we do have a plan, but if there's one episode you really want us to check out, you could let us know at our Discord where you'll find some great shows like uh, Zodiac Task Force, The Casatorium, which is very X-Files into itself. Things with, with things like Case of the Chills and that haunted elevator episode coming up one day, I hope. Or you can also give us any suggestions of episodes you want us to cover X at www.glowinghypnoticfingersoflight.no No, don't go to that website. Don't even look it up. Ravinglunaticmedia.com 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 Rage Master. What's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. 